Oh, we got, we got, we got Big Danny Ely holding Little Danny Ely right there. First time in the house. First time we congratulate Danny and Nimi and uh, their beautiful baby boy, Daniel. He's here today for the first time. Aren't you, isn't it great to see, see people having babies? Babies. We got, we got Cindy. She's, she's, she's going to have, by next Sunday, she's going to have a brand new baby girl, all right? We're excited about that. That's, gonna, that's fantastic. It's always good when people are getting married, people are having babies. We love that kind of stuff around here. So let's, let's get, get, get to work, guys. Get to work and make it happen. All right. Amen. Good to, good to see everyone here this morning. I do want to report that we were in Albuquerque last week, Carrie and I and uh, Joe and Eloisa were part of their conference. And what's happening there at our campus in New Mexico is incredible. I can report the church is growing. Uh, it's vibrant. People are excited. Uh, they're looking forward to our conference. They're going to bring it, be bringing a group uh, out here to Orange County for our conference. Uh, matter of fact, we invited Valentino to speak at First Wednesday in March and his wife Jenna is going to speak at our women's gathering uh, the, a couple days later. So they're going to be with us right at the beginning of March. So that's, mark your calendars for that. That's going to be fantastic. But what God's doing in their lives and what's happening in that church is literally astounding. And uh, you're a big part of that. And so I want to thank you for all of, all of your prayer, all of your finances, everything you've given to make that church and help it be established. It's four years old now. It's hard to believe. And God's doing so much. Very, very exciting. This morning, if you've brought a tithe or an offering you want to give to the Lord, today. Uh, you know how we do that around here. There's scan code behind me. You can scan that code to give electronically, uh, or you can visit the Elevate Ministries app. Uh, you can give right there um, safely and securely electronically that way. Um, you also, if you brought a check or you want to give with cash, um, you can do that as well. There's envelopes behind the chairs, and you can just drop, drop your gift right there in the giving boxes, the bright blue uh, lit boxes right there on the back on your way out. Just want to say how much we appreciate every person that sacrifices of their finances to give to the Lord to see God's will established in this earth. Amen? We're so grateful for that. Grateful for a group of people that aren't afraid to put their money where their mouth is. They don't just talk about a move of God. They want to they wanna be part of a move of God. And uh, thank you so much. So many, of, so many of our church, so many faithful givers here. And uh, you're the reason uh, God, God does what he does. Amen. And so we thank you for that. I just want to kind of share a couple things that's been happening. Really exciting stuff. Um, Saturday morning prayer, we kind of changed up the, 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 the rhythm of it at the beginning of the year, and we've had such an amazing time together in prayer on Saturdays. Yesterday, it was about 30 of us gathered in here just praying uh, for an hour from 8, eight o'clock in the morning to 9, and uh, we also had a bunch of people online, and uh, we established a prayer hotline that, 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 of prayer requests that can be kind of posted all week long, and then and we get together and we pray for them together. It's been exciting. I mean, we've been having God, we've been seeing God answer prayer, which is, which is what we're going for. We want to celebrate that as well. Matter of fact, yesterday I was able to report that two weeks ago we prayed for Jesse. Many of you remember we prayed for Jesse. He experienced some blindness. There was a flare up in his body, he experienced blindness. He couldn't see. He was in the hospital for about four days, I believe. Four days he was in the hospital, a little bit freaked out a little bit, probably wondering what the heck is going on. We began to pray. We began to believe God. Our intercessory teams began to pray. On Friday he called me. He's like, you never going to believe this. I went to the eye doctor. Not only is my sight back, but I got better than 2020 vision. I got 2025 vision. So pretty exciting. Uh, we're seeing that. And, you know, we've been praying for so many different people in different situations, and we're seeing God move in different ways. And so just encourage you, if you'd like to be a part of our prayer meeting, come on Saturday mornings at 8 in the morning, or else you can join with us online and be a part of it that way, all right? Uh, also coming up on Wednesday is our midweek service. Pastor Carl started a brand new series on faith uh, this past Wednesday. We had, a, we had a great house full of people there, and it was just a great time in the presence of the Lord. He's going to continue that series this Wednesday. Next Wednesday, the Wednesday following is first Wednesday. We're bringing in a guest speaker, Pastor Hector Briseño um, from San Pedro is going to be with us. He's a, he's a fantastic guy, fantastic speaker. You'll love it. So maybe get in the rhythm of coming to church on Wednesday nights. I think you'll be blessed. Next Sunday is Baptism Sunday, all right? <laughs> baptism Sunday. We love, we love watching people get baptized. 
We celebrate it every time. It never gets old around here, seeing people saved and baptized. We've had quite a few people give their hearts to the Lord over the past few weeks, and we're excited for some of them to, 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 to solidify that, to, to, to show an example of what's happened on the inside by getting baptized on the outside. And so, so next week, that's going to happen right here at the 10 o'clock service. And then I'm going to just foreshadow out there a little bit. I know Pastor Carl talked about it last week, and you were probably handed a flyer even when you walked in this morning, a save the date flyer for our conference coming up March 25th through the 27th. I want you to mark your calendar so you don't do something crazy like go out of town for spring break or something like that and go and be and you'll miss out on what God's going to do. I really believe that this conference has the potential to change your life forever. It, it has the potential to be in a landmark moment in your life that you'll never ever forget. So we've entitled this theme, the, the conference theme is Perceive It. And what I believe that right now, more than ever, I think it's more important now than, than ever before for the church to find its prophetic voice. We need the church to be everything God created the church to be. We need God's people to rise up because the world is waiting in earnest expectation for the church to act like the church. We're living in a profound season. I don't think you recognize it. I, I'm sure I don't, but I believe that we'll look back at this moment and we'll look back and we'll recognize that this was a significant moment, that we don't realize that, that right now God is doing something in our time and in our day that we may not notice it right now, but I believe we'll look back later on and we'll say, man, God was doing something because there's an open heaven moment right now. I really believe there's an opportunity right now. I know we can look around and we see the rise of evil, we see chaos, we see all these kind of crazy things, confusion and fear and anxiety, we see all of these things happening, but at the same time, there's a response of the people of God, a response of the saints. And it's almost like God is saying, hello, it's like God's saying, hello, I wanna do something in your time. I wanna do something in this day. I wanna do something in this hour. Will you perceive it? I think God is looking for people that aren't just willing to sit back and wait for everything just to, just to come to them. Just wait for everything to happen, sitting around waiting for, for, for it to come into full view. I think God is looking for someone that will push into what's next. I think God's waiting for someone to strain their eyes a little bit just for a glimpse and say, you know what? There is something there just over the horizon. I'm not waiting for it to come full view. I'm going to go for it now. I perceive that God has a plan. I perceive that God has a purpose, a destiny for me and I'm pushing in. Is anybody willing to push in a little bit? Like the sons of Issachar, who the Bible says understood the times, that they knew what to do, that some of us would, would recognize, God, I'm lucky enough to be a part of the end times church. And I know that you desire to pour out your spirit on your sons and your daughters, that they'll dream and prophesy and lay hands on the sick. I perceive it and I'm going after it. How many will go after it with me? Come on, how many will go after it with me? We're pushing for this towards this conference. The theme is perceive it. Because we, we believe that God wants us to see what's next. He wants to show you something, to show you what you're a part of and what you can see in this hour. Because I don't know about you, but what I want to experience is a move of God. More than anything in my life, what I want to experience, all the effort, all the energy, all the things that we, we attempt, what I want to experience in my life is a move of God. I don't know about you, do you want that? Do you want to experience a bona fide, legitimate move of God in your day? That's what I want to talk about this morning. In this series, Push, I want to talk about a move of God. We're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, either electronically or, or you actually have the paper version, uh, which I recommend, why don't you go ahead and open them up. We're going to be right there in that text, 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel <laughs> chapter 6. And I want to dive into a story from the life of King David. We know that King David reigned over Israel for 40 years, but this story happens to be right at the beginning of his kingship, and he made some decisions at this moment in his life that literally shaped the traje trajectory of the nation, what God was gonna call them to do. 
David wanted to see a move of God. He wanted in his life to experience a move of God. And in 2 Samuel chapter 6, what we have is a story of David and 30,000 of, 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 of the men of, of Israel going back into Philistine territory to take back the Ark of the Covenant. You would know and recognize that Saul, the previous king, lost a battle with the Philistines, and the Ark of the Covenant was stolen from God's people. And matter of fact, it's been missing from Israel for 20 years, okay? And so one of the first things that David decides to do as king is he says, I'm gonna go into the Philistine territory, I'm gonna get the Ark of the Covenant, and I'm gonna move it back where it's supposed to be. Now maybe you're thinking, well, what's so important about the Ark of the Covenant, what's the big deal? Isn't it, isn't it just a box, all right? Maybe it's just, you know, what is it? A lot of times we think of the Ark of the Covenant, and our minds think of like Indiana Jones, and you know, faces melting, and snakes, and all, all, all kinds of stuff like this. But, but the Ark of the Covenant, was literally the house for the presence of God. What you have to understand that in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God was actually contained to a place. It was held in a location. And this is what's so amazing about the New Covenant, which we're a part of. The New Testament, what happened was, is the Spirit of God is no, no longer just limited to places, but now it dwells in people. Are you with me today? This is why scripture tells us that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That means that the Spirit of God dwells, you are the Ark of the Covenant. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. It seems ordinary to us, I were used to that fact, but to the early disciples, this would have been revolutionary because no longer would you have to go to a special tent no longer would you have to go to a tabernacle or to a temple. You didn't need to have a special title in order to interact with the presence of God. Now, the Spirit of God, the presence of God, actually takes residence in your life. It's, it, it, it takes residence inside of you. But in the Old Testament, in, in this story we're reading, God's presence was limited to the Ark of the Covenant. It was kept in a box. Now, what, what, was, what, was, what you would know in the Old Covenant is is the only person that could interact with the presence of God would have been the high priest. And once a year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies. This is where the Ark of the Covenant was. And he would make sacrifices for the people, and God would provide forgiveness because of these sacrifices. And he was the only one that was allowed to interact with the presence of God. And so you can imagine how valuable the Ark of the Covenant would have been to these people. It had always been with them. It had always led them. It was part of their DNA. It was part of their story. It was part of, it was important to the trajectory of the nation, but for 20 years, it's been missing. It's been missing from the people of God, and David says, you know what, I wanna do something about it, and so he goes on a journey to, to have a literal move of God. He's literally gonna take God's presence and move it from Philistine territory into his hometown. He's, he's literally planning to facilitate a move of God because he wants access to God's presence. I don't know about you, but that's exactly what I want. I want a literal move of God. I want access to the presence of God on a continual basis, not just at a conference, all right, not just at a special service, not just when things start going really good during worship. I'm talking about, I want to be part of a move of God that's continual. It just keeps breathing and keeps, and keeps flowing in the house, amen. You know what I'm talking about. And so in 2 Samuel chapter 6, we see in verse 1, the Bible says that David brought together all the able men of Israel, 30,000 of them. Verse three, and they set out, they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was up on a hill. Now I want you to remember, the presence of God's been missing for 20 years, and David, he represents someone, somewhere, who makes the decision that status quo isn't good enough. He makes the decision that business as usual isn't gonna work anymore. And I begin to think about it, the presence of God has been missing for 20 years, but that hasn't changed the fact that, 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 that the nation of Israel has continued to exist. It's kinda of continued to go on, and I, I begin to think about that as it relates to us. I think it's amazing what churches have been able to do without the presence of God. I mean, without a move of God. But here's the thing, that's, 
That's not what we're about here. What we want is a move of God. If we gain the whole world, if we experience a bunch of nice things, we've missed the entire point if we don't, if we don't have the presence of God. The primary purpose of the church is to glorify Jesus. Can I hear somebody? Are there a lot of other things that the church does? Absolutely. There's a lot of things that we do. We do evangelism. We do mission work, we, we do giveaways, we work in the community. There's a lot of things that the church is a part of. But the primary thing we do is we glorify God. Are you with me? We glorify God. Why? Because the church doesn't exist for us. I know a lot of you came here this morning and thought, I'm going to church and for me. It's not for you. We're not doing any of this for you. The church exists to glorify Jesus. It's a gathering of God's people who come together, together to bless and minister to the heart of God. That's why we're here this morning. And the great thing is, is in return, he blesses and ministers to our hearts as well. Come on, the church exists to glorify Jesus. And so now for 20 years, this nation, the nation of Israel, God's people has been missing out on the presence of God. They've st still continued to move along, but they're missing the presence of God. And finally, someone, somewhere, says, you know what, enough is enough. You see, every great revival begins with someone, somewhere. It's, it, it begins with someone, somewhere, that says, I'm not satisfied. It begins with someone, somewhere, that says, I'm gonna decide that what I've been doing and what I've done isn't gonna work for where I'm going. Revival is predicated upon God's people, upon you and I rediscovering our hunger for the things of God. So, so the Bible says David, in our story, he takes 30,000 young men and goes to the, the enemy territory to take back the ark, but in doing so, they made some mistakes and they learned some things that I think we can learn from and we can apply to our own desire for a move of God. One of the things that they did is they made the mistake and they violated one of the principles of God because in Numbers chapter four, Moses is talking and he begins to outline to God's people exactly how the, the, the presence of God contained in the Ark of the Covenant was supposed to be transported. It was always supposed to be transported on the shoulders of the Levites and the priests. God always intends for his presence to be on the shoulders of his people. Did you hear me today? In other words, a personal connection is required for a move of God. I'm gonna say that again. A personal connection is a requirement for a, for a move of God. But look what they do instead. In verse three, the Bible says that they take the ark and they set it on a cart. And so you get this picture is that they took the presence of God that was meant to be carried on the shoulders of men and instead they put it on something they made. They put it on something they made. They thought they could have a move of God without being personally connected to it. Are you with me today? They put the, they put the ark on a program. They put the ark on a strategy. They put the ark on an organization. They put the ark on an, an, ark on an organization initiative. But listen, in order to have revival, in order to experience a move of God, being personally connected is required. The church is looking for better methods, but God is looking for better men. That's, that's a quote by E.M. Bounce. I'm not that smart, all right? But what he's saying is essentially this. People... commitment and dedication will. Revival happens when people begin to understand, I'm a priest. I'm not just showing up to church, but I'm a priest unto God, and if we want to be part of a move of, if we want to be part of a move of God, that means each and every one of us, I said each and every one of us, has to be personally connected to the move of God. We have a responsibility. Somebody in this room needs to understand this today. I have a responsibility to put this thing on my shoulders. It's not enough for the pastor to be revived on your behalf. Come on, it's not enough for the church to be revived on your behalf. 
I'm not waiting for a conference, an event, a worship night, a momentary high. I want to experience a move of God. And revival happens when every one of us, each of us, carry his presence on our shoulders. Personally connected. But the people are like, let's build a cart. Let's make this easier. Let's make this easier. Let's build a program. Get someone else to do the work. Let's build an organization. God's not looking for a program. He's not looking for an organization. He's inviting you to carry his presence on your shoulders for yourself. Because when you carry revival for yourself, you begin to sense the weight of the responsibility. You never understand the weight until you put it on your shoulders. When you carry revival for yourself, you begin to ordain your steps. You, you begin to think about where you're going. You won't go just anywhere because you, you sense the weight of, of responsibility on your shoulders. Are you with me today? When you carry revival for yourself, your family, your sphere of influence, they, they notice. They begin to see it. You begin to operate with a fear of God that helps you ordain your days and redeem the time. Why? Because you're personally connected. It matters to you. It's important to you. It's not about somebody else doing it for me. It's an invitation that I've responded to personally. Are you with me today? So personally connected was so important, and David learned that. Verse five, the Bible says that, that David and, and, and all of Israel was celebrating with all their might before the Lord, with all that stuff, making all kinds of noise. In verse six, they came to the threshing floor. Somebody say threshing floor. They came to the threshing floor. Uzzah reached out, took hold of the ark because the oxen stumbled. One of the things that we'll, we need to understand is in order for, for there to be a move of God, there's a mandatory stop, and probably several of them along the way, and the mandatory stop is the threshing floor. A move of God, a revival in your heart will always lead you to the threshing floor. Well, you say, well, what's the threshing floor? I've never even heard of that before. Well, the threshing floor is the place where the wheat and the chaff were separated. And so someone that was, was, was producing grain would be at the threshing floor, and they'd be taking a fork and, 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 and shooting the, the, the wheat up into the air, allowing the wind to blow away the chaff and leaving only the valuable grain on the floor. So the threshing floor is an important place. It's a place of separation. God, God moves at the threshing floor. All throughout the Bible, the threshing floor is an important place. Ruth met Boaz at the threshing floor. Gideon set out a fleece before the Lord at the threshing floor. The prophets ministered to Jehoshaphat at the threshing floor. The Lord sent his angel to judge Israel. Where'd he go? To the threshing floor. Every move of God, are you with me today? Come on. Every move of God takes people to the place of separation. It takes people to the place where they gotta make a choice, where they gotta consecrate themselves. God's gonna always take you to a place where you have to choose. Are you with me? You have to choose. He's always gonna cause you to go to the place where you have no choice but to remove unnecessary things from your life. Because where you're going, are you with me? Where you're going can't hold all that baggage you're carrying. There's a place that you have to go to separate that stuff. So I got good news and bad news. What do you want first? You want the bad news first. The bad news is this, that there are some things in your life that absolutely have to die. That every one of us are carrying things that will not allow us to move forward until those things die. But the good news is this, is that anything that you give up for God pales in comparison to what he gives back to you. So God is constantly gonna be inviting you to the threshing floor. It's the place where he's gonna separate the weeds from the wheat. It's a place where he's gonna separate the good stuff from the bad stuff. It's a place where he's gonna make you take a deep dive into yourself to find the difference between what we think we need and what we actually do need. Are you with me? You can always tell when someone's growing in Christ is because they know the difference between what they need and what they think they need. It's like when we're packing for a trip. You got this trip 24 hours. It's a turnaround business trip or a little, little turnaround trip that you're taking. And, and, and usually on those small trips, we end up taking three times 
we pack three times what we actually need. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? So, I mean, we're, we're, we're planning for this trip. We don't know what we need. And so we get the biggest suitcase we have, and we just throw everything in it. And you end up lugging around for 24 hours all of the things that you think that you need. You did it. the same thing like that. There's things that you've been carrying around, you've actually paid the price to carry it around with you, and all it is is extra baggage. It's costing you. It's costing the people around you. It's, it's annoying, and some of you have been dragging this stuff around for years, perhaps even decades, and what God wants to do is take you to the threshing floor, a place where you separate from that stuff, where you remove the things you think you need to hold on to in order to get the things that you actually need. This is the threshing floor. This is where God's invited us. God leads us to, to a place. Any move of God is gonna lead you to a place uh, of separation, of choosing. And this is why Satan never wants you to, to experience revival. He never wants you to get to the threshing floor. Satan never wants you to get to that place of choosing. He doesn't want you to ever get to that place of choosing where you have the opportunity to choose passion and choose desire and choose obedience and choose sacrifice. What Satan wants is you just to choose to sit back and be unmoved. But when you get into revival, when God begins to move, all of a sudden you realize, man, I'm at the threshing floor. This is the valley of decision. I, I've got to choose this day whom I'm gonna serve. All of a sudden I realize God's inviting me into commitment. God's inviting me into leadership. God's inviting me into servanthood. God's inviting me into giftedness. Now there's a mandate on my life, I feel it. There's a mandate to do something. There's a mandate on my life to be something. That's why when you leave church after a message like this, some of you leave agitated. You're ticked off. You're mad at me. Because what I'm doing is pushing against that lazy Christianity that's plagued the church. And I'm not just talking about our church, I'm talking about the church. I'm gonna push against that lazy Christianity that plagues the church today because God has put a mandate on your life to do something, to be something. There's never been a better time for you to be a part of the harvest. And so today is an invitation for where we are going, that God would thrust out laborers into his harvest field. There's never been a better time for me to be engaged in my faith, to decide I'm not just gonna stand by and witness history, I'm gonna be a part of history. I'm going to participate in what God's doing on the face of this earth. Somebody shout amen. Verse 6. So they came to the threshing floor, and then Uzzah reached out, took hold of, we could say that he steadied, or he managed, or he controlled the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. And so the Lord Anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent, irreverent act, and God struck him down. He died there right by, by the ark. Verse 9, David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how in the world is the presence of the Lord ever going to come to me? Another thing you need to understand about revival is that stumbling happens. Stumbling happens. Stumbling happens. As soon as you try to control revival, you will either kill it or it will kill you. Anytime you try to control the move of God and make it happen on your terms, it's never a good idea because it will either kill you or you will kill it. And I'll just give you a, a kind of a peer. You can tell when God's beginning to do something around here because all of a sudden you'll begin to see salvations and, and baptisms and you'll feel exuberant worship, much like we felt this morning. All of a sudden there'll be evangelism that's just kind of happening uh, uh, spontaneously. You'll see generosity in the heart of people, people not holding back but giving to God. But also in that, you'll also notice chaos. Anytime God begins to move, it's gonna get a little messy. People get saved and come to Christ, they're not all cleaned up yet. 
They've got some issues, all right? They've got, they've got some, and sometimes that creates a little chaos. Come on, when you came to the house of the Lord, you brought that, what I'm talking about. You brought a little, moves of God are messy. We get a message from a mess. We, we understand that stumbling happens. It's part of the journey. But here's the problem. A lot of people would rather have a nice, safe, manicured, sanitized, religious expression that really never moves their heart or disrupts their schedule. It, it, never, it never requires their finances. It never inconveniences their life. But here's what I'm gonna tell you. That kind of religious expression is not welcome at this church. That doesn't describe who we are, and that's not what we're after. We push against that weak excuse for a move of God because we're on mission, and the mission we are is a relentless pursuit of God in our lives, a relentless pursuit that's never satisfied. Are you with me? Always wanting more. We sang about it today. I want more of you. I want more of your presence. I want more of your power. Proverbs 24, 16 says, the righteous may stumble. They may trip, but they get back up. You see, that's a picture of the move of God. We may stumble. Let me tell you, righteous people stumble all the time. Passionate people stumble all the time. God-fearing people stumble all the time. Revived people, they all stumble, but every time they get back up. We just keep on getting back up. But, but the oxen stumbled, and Uzzah thought this. He thought, God needs my help. Let me rescue God. That's what Uzzah did. As if God can't take care of himself. This is what he, he, he Uzzah thought, God needs my help to help stabilize what's going on. Can I tell you something? God doesn't need your help for anything. God doesn't need your help with anything. Actually, what God does is invites you in, which is crazy, but God invites you into a partnership and then shares his glory with you. That's what God does. God doesn't need your help to move his spirit. He can do that all by himself. But here's what happened. We pray for revival. We, we believe God. We believe for revival, so God does what? He takes us to the threshing floor. It's an uncomfortable place of choosing. It's a messy location. It's a place where we're confronted with our sin. It's a place of sacrifice. Blood is flying everywhere. It's a place where we're trying to contend. It's, it's not quite as a clean location. It's unstable, it's uncomfortable. It makes you uneasy. And instead of allowing that presence of God to rest, Uzzah tried to control it, tried to stabilize it. You can't control a move of God. It is impossible because God can't be managed. God can't be processed. God can't be fit into your schedule. He can't be delivered on your terms. That's not how God works. He cannot be stabilized by your hand, your magic touch. He can't do it. If it's rocking a little bit, you need to let it rock. You can't try to control what God's doing. You can't say, oh man, this is getting a little bit out of hand. You know, this is, too, this is a little bit too exciting. You're, you're, you're dancing a little too much. God's doing a little too much expression in your life. Uzzah tried to control a move of God because it was getting out of hand. It looked like it was falling apart. And Uzzah tried to stop it. He tried to control the move of God. And here's David, and, and David sees this crazy thing happen. The guy tried to, all he did was try to stabilize and control the move of God. He ends up dead on the floor. And so David is kind of at this, this, this place in his life where he's like, man, this isn't what I expected a move of God to look like. You know, I, I, didn't, I didn't expect this move of God to, to happen like this. I actually didn't think God's power would do something like that. Kill something unexpected. But that's what a move of God does. It moves in ways we don't think are appropriate. It kills things that we don't think should die. That's what a move of God does. And here's David. He's like, man, I'll never really get a move of God, even though he was experiencing one. Verse 11, look what happens. So the ark remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite for three months. And the Lord blessed him and his entire household. And now King David was told, I think that, that those two words, was told, is important. King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the presence of God. 
So David said, I gotta go get the ark from Obed-Edom to the city of David. So what happens is, is they're moving this ark, Uzzah touches it, he dies, and David says, oh man, I'll never get it. I'm never gonna experience revival in my life, and he just leaves it there. He just stops everything, he leaves it there, but what happened is, is the, the, the presence of God did something in this house of Obed-Edom. Here's, the, here's a mark of a move of God. A move of God is always sparked by a testimony. It's sparked by a testimony. Listen, listen to this. God uses the blessing of your life to produce a godly jealousy in the life of someone else. Grab a hold of this. This is why testimony is so important. Revelation 19, verse 10. I was talking to Danny about that this week. It says this. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Your testimony is prophetic in nature. And some of you are waiting for God to use you in the prophetic. I'm just going to tell you what to do. Start speaking your testimony. We make prophecy all weird, like some kind of fortune teller telling the future, but literally prophecy is a Christian telling their story. That's prophecy. It's less about information and more about a confirmation of what God's done on the inside. Because when we tell the story about what God is doing, we're prophesying to all the dry bones in this region. And we're saying it's time to get up. It's time to wake up. It's time, it's time, to, it's time to rise up because God sees an army. And if he did it in my life, if he did it in my marriage, if he did it in my finances, he can do it in yours. He can do it in yours. That's what testimony does. But see what happens, David gets mad. He sees this mess happening. But it's in the mess you get the testimony. So right at the place where Uzzah dies, right at the place where the oxen stumbled, that is the exact location where God just pours out his spirit, and David missed it. He, he, he walked away from it and pouts. But the presence of God sits in a box in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. Who, was, who were the Gittites? You ready for this? They were the Philistines. They were the Philistines. The sworn enemy of Israel, God's presence is, is it went from the Philistines to the Philistines. That, that's basically what's happened, which tells us that God's not, the respect, uh, not a respecter of persons. That, that, he can, that, that this, this Philistine, Obed-Edom, his house was absolutely blessed. Matter of fact, if you, if you look in the Bible and you try to find Obed-Edom in the Bible, the only other place you'll find a, a story about him is in 1 Chronicles First Chronicles, and that's where the Bible says that the sons of Obed-Edom served as priests in the tabernacle. That's a testimony. Because the presence of God is so powerful that it can take sworn enemies of God, the Philistines, and turn them into priests. These guys weren't priests by lineage. They were priests by the presence of God. They, they were around the presence of God, and that's the power of raising your family around the presence of God. Some of you, you grew up like uncircumcised Philistines. You were the sworn enemies of God, and your deepest hope is that your kids won't make the same mistake that you made. Let me tell you what to ensure that that doesn't happen is bring your kids into the presence of the Lord. Plant them in the house of God because the presence of God takes Philistines and turns them into priests, all right? It's a testimony. It's a testimony that caused David to go back. But I wanna give a little extra credit here. Congratulations, David. You took the, the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, and moved it from Philistine ter territory to more Philistine territory. Let me tell you what offense does. David got offended. And what offense does is it stops a move of God in your life. Are you with me today? When you stop forgiving, you stop growing. That's how it works. Just because you got offended doesn't mean someone else won't get blessed. Are you with me? Just because you're offended doesn't mean you're right. So in our world today, what's happened? In our world, I think most of us would recognize this. Our world has weaponized offense. Everybody's going, is working overtime to, 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 to be careful not to offend somebody. We've made, we've made offense the mortal sin of our culture. We don't wanna hurt anybody's feelings. God forbid we offend someone 
or someone offend you. But as a culture, we offend God all the time. Are you with me? And what's happened is, is even in the church, we're more afraid of offending people than we are offending God. David got offended and went back home. And for 90 days, he didn't have the presence of God, but God was still blessing Obed-Edom. Verse 11, the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, the Philistine, for three months. And the Lord blessed him as an and his entire household. It doesn't say that, it doesn't say that, that, that the presence of God visited the house of Obed-Edom. It says that it remained in that It says house. So even after the ark was gone, the presence of God had still done its work. Huge difference between a visitation and an inhabitation. And what we're going after, for, after here is not a visitation. It's not a great service or a great conference or a great... Inside of God's people, we're going after the testimony of a spirit-filled life. We're not going after a momentary touch. We're not going for some shakes and falling down. We're not looking, we're not looking for the presence of God to visit us on a Sunday. We're looking for the presence of God everywhere we go, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The Bible says David went to bring the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fatted calf. And wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all of his might, while he and all of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. Now, I want you to picture this. From the house of Obed-Edom to Jerusalem, or the city of David, was approximately seven and a half miles. A couple weeks ago, I talked about the road to Emmaus. It was a seven-mile trip. Well, now this has got it trumped. It's seven and a half miles. And so for those of you that January turned and all of a sudden you're now counting steps, that means that it's about 2,000 steps in a mile. So a seven and a half mile trip is about 15,000 steps for David and these, these 30,000 men to take. And what the Bible just got done saying is that every six steps, everything stopped, David stopped, the 30,000 stopped, so that they could sacrifice a bull and a calf to the Lord. Every six steps, which tells me that a move of God, what we're after, is fueled by sacrifice. Every six steps, in order for God's presence to move from Obed-Edom's house to Jerusalem, every six steps they stopped, they sacrificed a bull and a calf, which tells us that a move of God, if we're trying to get a move of God in our lives, that's gonna require sacrifice. Many times what we want is we want low sacrifice, high impact. Huh? We want a good deal. That's what we're looking for, all right? But that's not how it works. Paul told the Romans in Romans 12, he says, offer yourselves as living sacrifices. You know, the first time that worship is mentioned in the Bible is in the story that Carrie was talking about this morning when Abraham was taking Isaac up on the mountain to be sacrificed. He said, let us go up to the, to the mountain to worship. First time worship is ever mentioned, it's in the terms of sacrifice because Isaac goes, we're going to worship, but where's the sacrifice? And Abraham's like, you're it, all right? For us, when we think about what, what it looks like to have a move of God's spirit, we, we have to recognize we're not gonna have a move of God if it doesn't cost us anything. There's sacrifice that's required, but what it costs us, it pales in comparison to what we receive in return. I was hoping a lot of people would say amen. I had a feeling this point would get everybody to be quiet. Like you just, you just stop listening, I'll sacrifice. I'm tuning out right here. A move of God requires sacrifice. Look at verse 15. As the ark was entering Jerusalem, the Bible says Michael, the daughter of Saul, watched from a window and she saw David leaping and dancing before the Lord and she despised him in her heart. Verse 20. So when David returned home to bless his household, Michael came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls and the servants as any vulgar fellow would. And David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over God's people. So I'm gonna celebrate before the Lord. 
Number 22, I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I'll be held in honor. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Here's the thing you gotta grab a hold of. And this whole idea of sacrifice fuels revival. You gotta understand, you can have dignity or you can have desire, but you can't have both. You can have control or you can have revival, but you can't have both. Remember the woman who broke the alabaster jar of perfume? It was a mess, right? Like everybody, this woman comes in, she's a prostitute, she brings her life savings. She comes to the feet of Jesus, breaks this jar of perfume that was more than a year's wages. It's a lot of money, it's a big sacrifice. And Judas is like, man, we could have taken that, we could have have done a lot of work in the community, we could have done all kinds of stuff. And Jesus shuts him down and says, no, 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 what this woman has done is gonna be remembered in every generation. Her worship, her sacrifice is not a waste. Anything you do for God is not a waste when it's done before him. So everything David was doing, he told Michael, he says, I'm doing this for God. This has nothing to do with you. This has nothing about nobody else. This has nothing to do but me and God, and I'm doing this before God. My sacrifice is for him and him alone. And so the Bible says that Michael, the daughter of Saul, she looks out the window. I want you to get a picture of this. She's looking out the window, and she's seeing this amazing scene. David out there with his underwear, dancing crazy, 30,000 men all doing the same. Every six steps, they're stopping to sacrifice a bull and a calf. I mean, this is crazy stuff. This is a wild scene. And so here's Michael. She's watching it happen from the window. And so the question I have for you is, what posture do you think God is drawn to? Because there's two postures here. You've got, you've got all, of, all of these guys dancing and singing and shouting and blowing trumpets and sacrificing blood everywhere. And then you've got Michael looking out the window. What posture is God drawn to? David with his exuberant praise and constant sacrifice or Michael watching from the window? What is God drawn to? There's so many people that are just watching just kind of sitting back watching everyone else, critiquing everything, judging everything, arms crossed. But I'm telling you right now, what what so many people would rather watch from a window and judge everything that's going on rather than jumping in and participating in a move of God. And so Michael gets down, she says, David, you look so stupid. You, You look so foolish dancing like this, half naked. And David says, I'll be more undignified than this. And what he was basically saying was, you ain't seen nothing yet. And I'm here today to tell you, we are barely scratching the surface of what God's about to do in this community. You ain't seen nothing yet, exceedingly, abundantly, more than you can ask, more than you can think, more than you can imagine. That is what God desires to do. And what he's looking for is people to say, you know what, yes, I'm gonna push into God. I'm gonna do, I'm gonna push into what God is looking for. God's looking for people who will say yes. He's looking for people, men and women, who will say, you know what, I'll be even more undignified if it means that the glory of God's presence can fill my life and rest in this house. We're not going after a good weekend, somebody. We're not going after an exciting service. We're going out for, we're going after an outpouring of God's spirit, a move of God. I believe we're going to see our campuses, every single one of them, begin to grow and expand. I believe new ministries are going to begin to rise up as God's people begin to get out what's in their heart. I believe we're going to see new campuses begin to sprout up all over the place. I can't tell you where, I can't tell you how, I can't tell you when, but I pray perceive that God wants to pour out his spirit and his anointing on this house. He wants to place a prophetic power and move of God in this house. You're sitting in this room in a place, you're sitting here today in a place that other people contended for. What you're experiencing today is what we believe God for, what we've worked towards. But I'm here today to say, you ain't seen nothing yet. The Bible says this of David, that he danced with all of his might, with everything that he had before the Lord. He danced so, so crazy that the Bible says that his outer garments came off. He was down to his linen ephod. You've heard me talk about a linen ephod before, but the linen ephod was the clothing of priests. 
So we know that David was a king on the outside, but he was a priest on the inside. David was a king on the outside, but a priest on the inside, which tells me it doesn't matter if you're the CEO, it doesn't matter if you're the stay-at-home mom, a college student, it doesn't matter if you work in healthcare, it doesn't matter if you're an electrician, if you work in education, if you work in tech, if you work at a coffee shop, if you drive a truck for Amazon, it doesn't matter what you do. Whatever you are on the outside pales in comparison to what you are on the inside. We are priests unto God. You are a priest unto God. But here, what I want to hear this. You'll never find out what you are on the inside until you make the decision to get a little undignified on the outside. I'm gonna say it again. You'll never find out what you are on the inside until you make a decision to get undignified on the outside. David danced with all of his might, and his wife saw him and she mocked him and said, you're supposed to be a king. You don't look like a king. And David said, I've always been a priest. When I was watching my father's sheep in the green pastures, I was a priest. When I was anointed by Samuel in front of my brothers, I was a priest. When I was taking on Goliath in front of the armies of Israel, I was a priest. When I was running from Saul who was trying to take my life, I was a priest. I've always been a priest. And that's who you and I are in this hour. And the responsibility we have, if we want to see a move of God, responsibility that we have is to carry his presence on our shoulders we're, we're meant to be personally connected to a move of God how's that happen it happens when you make a choice to say you know what I'm giving my life to Jesus I'm giving my life to how do I carry the presence of God Adam I don't, I don't understand that well the moment you said yes to Jesus the moment you began to follow Christ the moment you emptied yourself and filled your, he filled you. Old things passed away, all things became new. You became personally connected to a move of God in your life. You became the temple of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know what, I've never given Jesus my life. I don't, I've never carried the presence of God. Well, you can, you can, it can start right now. Right here, this moment today. You can have the presence of God, active, alive, working, leading you, helping you, guiding you, taking you where he wants you to go. All you have to do is accept him into your life. Repent of your sins. Acknowledge that he's the savior, that he died and shed his blood so that you could be forgiven and his spirit enters you in a moment of time. Maybe you're here today, you say, you know what? I wanna give my life to Jesus. I wanna be personally connected. If that's you, lift your hand up all over this room. Come on, all over this place. I wanna be personally connected right there. Come on, right there, right there. Come on, right there. Amazing, come on. Anyone else? I wanna be personally, I wanna give my life to Jesus right there. Come on, all over this room. I wanna be personally connected. I wanna be a carrier of the presence of God. That's you. Lift your hand. Anyone else? All over this room all over this room amen i'm gonna ask our altar workers to come and if you raised your hand i want you just to jump out of your seat right here come on right over i thought there was a hand right right here there was a hand right here i want you to just come down here meet me here we're gonna pray together right here come on come on down here come on down here come on right here come on come on down here come on if you're near someone that raised their hand come on help them come on down we're gonna pray together personally connected Come on, this is the day everything changes. Everything changes. Old things pass away. Everything starts brand new, fresh. Come on, right now. Personally connected. Was there any other hands? Any 